I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 124. Um, Josh is not here. He is working. And so we've got uh, our official guest host, Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Tyler. Okay, good. That's very exciting. So um, that sounded dismissive. I'm, I'm genuinely excited. Uh, so yeah, a couple things to, to get to before we... Uh, jump into the actual topic, which doesn't actually exist at the moment. Um, a reminder that in April, I'm going to go to the International Christian Film Festival in Orlando. And my flight is booked, my rental car is booked, and I've got the table all booked, so it's it's going to happen. And uh, I did want to say that uh, if anybody would like to donate to the show to help out with that, uh, with the cost of that, we would certainly appreciate it. I have no expectation of completely recouping my cost, but anything that you could donate would certainly help out uh, quite a bit. So you can go to morethanonelesson.com and there's a button on the right side that says donate. You can click on that. Uh, even if it's even if it's five bucks, that would be very helpful. And then Josh and I are working on the idea of a bonus episode, although for the life of us, we have no idea what it is going to be about. Uh, and by bonus episode, I mean uh, a, an episode that you'd have to pay for to listen to. And we, we're we not sure what we want to do. We have a few ideas. Um, we've had a few suggestions. And uh, I don't know, it's hard It's hard to settle on one that we think people would actually pay for. So uh, if, you ha- if you, the listener, has any suggestions, uh, feel free to email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. And I would be happy to uh, to do that. So, all right. So here's the deal, everybody. We actually don't have an official topic. We have some things, as, as Reed and I went back and forth talking about what we wanted to discuss, uh, there were a few things put out there, and I liked all of them. And, uh, and I, the, Reed brought up a, a certain idea uh, discussing something that, that Josh and I have, I think we devoted an episode kind of to this in the past, uh, but and it's certainly something that, we have, that we've touched on from time to time, um, and it sounded good, but it, it also didn't sound remarkably structured. So uh, for fans of Battleship Pretension, I've got good news for you. This is going to be a lot closer to that than more than one lesson today, and so uh, this is going to be a bit more of a freewheeling conversation, which uh, hopefully you guys are okay with. Uh, I have no clue of how long the episode is going to be or how short. Uh, it could be. Sh- it could wind up being shorter than some minisodes. Who's to say? But uh, but that's the situation. So um, so thank you for bearing with us in the meantime. So Reed, yes. This all started with Fifty Shades of Grey, which I have not seen. You haven't seen. I have no plans to see it. I had, I have to assume you've you know maybe this weekend. You didn't. You just didn't want to fight the crowds. Basically, you're just waiting for everything to thin out, and then uh, you know I picture myself in you know uh, a fedora pulled down, dark sunglasses, even yeah. though it's 10 p.m., yeah. and uh, you know a big trench coat, walking up saying, uh, "Yes, I'd like two tickets, please, for this movie," and slide the sheet of paper yeah. to the attendants so that they know that I'm you know they know what I'm speaking of, and then uh, and then, yeah, but no. Uh, in all seriousness, actually have uh it's funny because i see i've seen so many things recently about that movie and the book sold 
like a hundred million copies. I heard yeah. somewhere that at that at the height of its popularity, this was a statistic I heard but did not verify. I heard that at the height of its popularity, it actually sold somewhere in the neighborhood of two books per second. Um, I have no idea how they would even calculate that, yeah. but um, so um, an immensely popular book, and then of course was turned into a movie, which has already made a ton of money in yeah. a single weekend. But what I started to see. Uh, is I started to see a ton of posts on social media about articles reflecting on Fifty Shades of Grey and the potential impact on our culture. And I heard so many things about, uh, you know, oh, this doesn't even accurately reflect the dynamic of the relationship that's in the story, which I'm, you know, I, we can explain for readers who have, you know, been living under a rock and have no idea what is a 50 shades of gray is about, which was me by the way, <laughs> uh, up, up until recently. Um, I, I knew it had something to do with sort of like a, a dominant submissive relationship. Yeah. I didn't know much about it. I, it sounded a lot like that James Spader, Maggie Gyllenhaal film secretary would, yeah. in which he plays a character, named Mr. Gray, it yeah. should be noted, which sounds like a lawsuit to me uh, that hasn't happened yet. So I feel like somebody needs to get on that. It's so um, funny you bring that up because I actually thought of, as I was kind of formulating, uh, you know, because you and I had talked about the potential subject for this episode. And when I was formulating my thoughts, that has struck me a lot when I've thought about uh, Fifty Shades of Gray. I have seen The Secretary. It has been years. I remember very little about it. Um, but I remembered enough about it that when Fifty Shades of Grey became a phenomenon, I was like, wait a second, I, I, this was already somewhat addressed yeah. in, in The Secretary. And, and that film got kind of a cult following at the time. Mm -hmm. it, it certainly did not achieve huge success. Um, no. I remember a lot of, it kind of put Maggie Gyllenhaal on the map. Um, and uh, at that point, by that time, James Spader had already sort of come back with uh, Boston Legal. Uh, but it it got people thinking of him in kind of a different way um, yeah and so uh so yeah it's it but i guess it it fell off because in in the few in the articles that i have read about the book and now the movie nobody ever mentions it and it just no. seemed strange to me yeah and I, I i would have to revisit it again to know more specifically how i felt about it i remember walking away from the movie and being a little unsettled by some of the stuff that i saw in it i'm very admittedly uh naive when it comes to a lot of of that subject matter in film uh i haven't seen nearly as much uh, films of graphic sexual nature as i have of you know films like um with heavy violent content i watch a lot of horror movies right. um so i haven't seen a ton of films even ones that i know are respected in the pantheon of of uh, uh just filmography in general like i know last tango in paris gets a lot of press about mm -hmm. being overtly sexually explicit but not necessarily uh seen as just uh, trash. It's seen as very artful and, yeah, yeah. and, and intentional uh, about that subject. But I'm very naive about those things. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting about Fifty Shades of Grey um, is how much press it's getting about, uh, you know, from a lot of conservative voices, um, specifically religious voices, about how this is damaging uh, to our culture and what, you know, what I had expressed to you and what I've been thinking about as a potential subject is 
this idea of things as Christians who also love movies and Mm -hmm. who, you know, I love books and I love music. I just, I'm just a media consumer in general and uh, things we're not supposed to see things we're not supposed to enjoy uh, for whatever reason. It doesn't necessarily have to exclusively 50 shades of gray made me think of it, but it doesn't have to exclusively be specifically sexual content, but just things we're not supposed to like and things that as a Christian we find, um, you know, it's not merely about uh, the freedom to enjoy something or not enjoy it, but there's this sub genre of things in their extreme, which we are really not allowed in the idea and mindset of most Christian people to accept or approve of, or even to watch in in any capacity. And I have a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, Some of them are pretty nuanced and some of them are pretty, I feel pretty strong convictions about, but, but that was the impetus for, for this particular subject. Um, yeah, and you know what's interesting is uh, as you're talking about this, the thing that I, that I jump to is uh, certain attitudes that I've run across where it's the attitude of this thing or this film with, which has a certain attitude or whatever, or or certain um, certain things in f- that a film can have, they are inherently wrong. It doesn't matter how they are used; context doesn't matter. They by their very nature, should not be seen. Um, it could be, uh, it, it could be, you know, the filmmaker could be specifically stating that he is trying to bring glory to God by incorporating this into his film. And people would say, not possible, literally not possible to right. do it. And so that's, that's where my mind goes first is that idea, which I think is what you're talking about. But what I think is interesting is that we're getting into this conversation by way of Fifty Shades of Grey, which, by the way, it could be great. I haven't seen the film. You haven't seen the film. It could wind up so much better than we think it is. Right. Uh, you know, and so so I'm not I don't want to judge the film because I actually know somebody who uh, a guy in my in my uh, men's Bible study who saw the film and actually said it was it was pretty good. And then there's uh, and then I've read a couple of reviews um, that say that there's a, it has kind of a nice sense of irony from time to time and, and that sort of thing. So interesting. So, you know, it could be really interesting, but I like the idea of that. We are, we're getting to this topic through a movie that I instinctively feel and let, for the sake of argument, let's say that the film is genuinely just trash and is terrible. Yeah. That it's just made, it was made cynically by a studio to cash in and be kind of this, uh, of kind of a goof on Valentine's day and this mm. strange erotic titillating type of thing. Um, so let's go ahead and just for the sake of our argument, say it's that, that you and I get to this conversation of what is inherently wrong or right to see based on a film that quite possibly brings nothing to the conversation artistically or certainly right. spiritually um, as opposed to, you know, movies like what have we talked about in the past? Like the reader, um, oh, which has, yeah. uh, you know, or notes on a scandal movies that have uh, quite a bit of sexuality in them. Mm-hmm. But, and, and there'd still be some Christians that say, well, there's too much. It doesn't, you don't need that much, or maybe you don't need it at all, but you could still, you and I could easily make an argument. It's like, yes, but it's necessary because of X, Y, and Z. 
with with Fifty Shades of Grey, assuming that it is this thing that we're talking about, and I'm not saying it is, but again, for the sake of argument, that you and I would would jump into this conversation for from a film that that we probably would not defend. We probably would right. say, uh, yeah, it's completely exploitative and, and right. has no reason to exist. Yeah. Um, beyond making a lot of money and, and being, uh, kind of soft core porn and that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, so I like the idea of jumping into that because this is not a film that I would, that I give the benefit of the doubt to, <laughs> right. um, which is probably, which might be wrong on my part as a, from a, from a, a critical standpoint, like, well, I, it's funny because I'm uh, where I get most passionate about this particular subject is when it comes to literature because um, I'm an avid reader. I have aspirations to be a writer, and and um, you know I've written s- some things um, you know uh, that have had you know a modicum of success, but uh, I you know I, I approach the subject of literature where when I first encountered Fifty Shades of Grey was because so many people, and forgive me if, if you're listening to this, this is God's honest truth. It is not a stereotype. I encountered Fifty Shades of Grey. I had heard about it through a book podcast that I listened to. They just com- they made a side comment about it. But almost every woman at my work was reading it. Mm-hmm. And when is when they finished it, they passed it to another friend and, and you know, somebody else was recommending it and and so then I began to like, Oh, what's everybody what's everybody reading? And and so then I look up There's a little this, I just picture no offense, I picture you as a little kid being like, Hey fellas, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's it's awesome that uh you know, that when you go into that book and I look up a little bit about it and I'm like, Oh, Okay. Um, you know, I, I just sort of delved into when I first looked into the, to the book, it's funny because honestly, uh, I have no intention at all of seeing 50 shades of gray, Mm -hmm. but the reason that I have no intention for seeing 50 shades of gray is the same reason I have no intention of seeing the most recent transformers movie. Yeah. Um, which is because I know enough about, what it has to offer and my time and what I like getting out of films. And even though, you know, uh, Transformers, uh, it's because it offers a lot of, you know, spectacle and really probably not a great deal of substance from what I have seen and heard and read. Um, And so that's, you know, two and a half hours that I don't want to devote my time to. Fifty Shades of Grey, um, I know that it's, it's got a focal point of a sexual relationship. That's not something that entices me enough to to want me to spend a couple of hours with that so that's why i have no intent intention to see the film yeah. um and that's why i had no intention of reading the book and i had there was a co-worker who said like just just read a little bit of it i have read a page and a half of the first 50 shades of gray book just right. just a page and a half that was as far as i could get all because i wasn't offended necessarily by the content the content was graphic mm-hmm. in the section that i read um, so, so you gra- didn't you didn't read the first page and a half. No, you no, just no, no, read no. it. Did did your coworker say read this part? Yes, okay. they did. <laughs> That's interesting. Which was yes, it was enlightening. Um, but I read that part, and uh, it it was so graphic I can't even really describe or or um, summarize what the se- what the scene that I read was about. It was a family podcast. Exactly. So, um, so it seems I, strange I, that a family would listen to this show, but that's fine. <laughs> Theoretically, they could. They sit around the, the, sit around the computer yeah. like, here you go, kids, and get the popcorn. <laughs> Gather um, around the iPod. So, um, but I, you know, I read that 
section, and it wasn't even so much that the content was offensive to me. The writing, I, I, I am not going to pull a punch here. The writing was very offensive to me, not because it was full of things that I'm offended by. It was so terribly structured and poorly mm. written. I... It, there were I'm, there are bound to be listeners who disagree with me about that statement. I'm making a personal opinion on what I consider to be quality writing versus non-quality writing. Yeah. Um, that, that page and a half was just abhorrent in terms of uh, the skills that I saw at play in yeah. this writer's toolbox, just of language and sentence structure and flow and rhythm of paragraphs. Um, so, and, and I felt a little bad at first saying like, well, I'm judging this whole book, an entire series of books on a page and a half. But then I remembered, you know what it, some of the stuff that I've loved has taken even less than that to suck me in. Oh, sure. There have been, you know, uh, uh, the first example that comes to mind is, I mean, I love Charles Dickens, but a tale of two cities hooked me with a paragraph, a few sentences. Those opening sentences were so wonderfully put together that I was like, I'm, I'm really going to love this book. And so to judge yeah, when, a, when, uh, my favorite book at this point is, uh, all the King's men by Robert Penn. Oh, yeah. have you ever read it? I have never read it. It is so astonishingly marvelous mm. in it. Uh, the story is good. The characters are good, but the way that it is written, it's written right. by, it's written first person for you know, the main character, John, uh, no, uh, last character's last name, Jack Burden. That's it. Mm. Uh, he, he is a writer. And so it's written not merely first person, but it's written first person from a character who is a writer, more specifically a Southern writer. Oh. And so there, it's it has a nice, this very nice flowing quality to it. There's a stream of consciousness, but it's written with a very specific idea in mind of what it wants to capture. And there were there were paragraphs or little passages. I'm like, this is some of the most beautiful prose I've ever read, and I it seemed almost impossible that a person could write it hmm. because how is it? It's just gorgeous. And it yeah. just, it's so evocative and there is something to be said for word choice, uh, beyond just what you're writing about, but how you're writing about it. I'm yeah. sorry. That was a, that was a tangent. I apologize. No, no, it, it fits in perfectly with the point I'm trying to make. And that's that, that you, you can, when you read as, as much as I have, um, and I've just, I've, I've read a lot, um, I, I get it. You get an instinctive sense as you're reading of like this, this person speaks in, in a way that I'm going to respond to, or this person does not speak in a way that I'm going to respond to. Interesting side note, before we leave all the King's men, I have debated before about reading it because it won the Pulitzer prize, all of which, um, those books are all on my radar to eventually, I would love to read them. Um, but, uh, the audio book is narrated by, um, I don't know how much of a lost fan you are, but it, the audiobook is narrated by Michael Emerson, and I wanted to hmm. um, I wanted to check that out possibly as uh, you know just as a way to experience it because I I think he's a phenomenal actor and and uh, is somebody that I was just like oh yeah I'd really like to I'd really like to check out what he'd have to do with that but um, that's interesting because I mean literally in this case because it's written first person mm-hmm. then it's it's basically someone saying, Oh, we cast Michael Emerson in the role of Jack Burden. Essentially. Yeah. 
which I cannot picture at all. <laughs> and so no offense to him. He is a great actor, but yeah. now I'm intrigued. Yeah. So um, maybe I'll try to listen to like an excerpt of it. Or something yeah. Yeah. It's, it uh, I think it is the official audiobook release okay. is, is the one with him as the narrator. But, um, but back to, back to 50 shades of gray. I mean, it's just something where what, what captivated me about this topic, this discussion that we're having is that notion of, well, I don't want to see it for a variety of reasons that have right. everything to do with, like, I have a response to it as an individual, mm-hmm. like just, okay. So individually it really, I'm not, I could not be less interested in yeah. this movie. Um, but then I also have like a response to it as an adult, like, okay, the, uh, how is this good for our culture or, or what kind of impact that it has? And as a, as a possible side note, like I feel like sometimes it can get a, a little heavy handed when people are talking about this is bad for our culture or this yeah. is, this is reflective of a negative trend that, that we're having. And I don't necessarily s- jump onto that bandwagon, but I do think it would be naive for anyone to think that what you receive into your imagination has no impact on you and that what you're engaging with as entertainment or as art or whatever um, that really has no effect on you. I think that's a naive point of view. Yeah. And you know, it's, it, it, that's the other side of what we talk about on this show is, you know, we're, we're pretty, uh, I would say we're, we're pretty artistically liberal on this show when it, uh, when it comes to the stuff that, that we watch and that we think it's okay to watch or, or more specifically we say like, we think this is okay for us to watch. Right. Um, it might be different for you. Mm-hmm. Therein, therein lay the nuance. But we, we tend to, you know, uh, almost a, probably ra- right around a year ago, um, we talked about The Wolf of Wall Street. Well, there's mm-hmm. a lot in that movie, and, and a Christian right. could find that stuff disturbing, and they might not want to watch it. I understand that. Um right. And, and I think sometimes in my, in my defense of the concept of discernment, uh, I might go too far and say, oh, well, these, you know, these people, they just, they're, they're so afraid, uh, mm. that they're going to be touched by, touched negatively by, by a movie that, uh, that they just won't engage with any of them at all. And while I do, while I don't like the idea of them saying, uh, this isn't appropriate for anybody, uh, I do think that, that at times I might be a little bit too permissive of the idea that like, yes, art still does have power. And there are Christians out there who are talking about like, Hey, be careful what you let in. Um, and because, because it's often the ones that say that the most vehemently that are the ones that tend to, uh, be very aggressive about what, right. the, what you should watch. Right. Um, I tend to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you're right. Something it, you know, there, there are things that can be, you know, yeah, I agree. It's maybe a little bit lofty to talk about culture. Uh, I'm much more inclined to look at it. It's like, is this bad for culture or is there something happening in culture that this is latching onto? Mm. And you can see this more as like, okay, this maybe is a symptom of something larger as opposed to the disease itself. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely. Um, and that's, that's, you know, you mentioned earlier that this opinion of yours requires, it might be a little nuanced. And I think there, there is the nuance, uh, as, as artistically unhip as it might be to say this, like, 
what you watch, what you listen to, it does affect you. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I think I interrupted you. Were, no, you were you're heading yeah. down that path. Um, uh, again, free, free flowing discussion. <laughs> but no, I mean, honestly, the, I think that either extreme is unhealthy. I think that the extreme that you've described, some people take where, um, I, I knew somebody who very, they were very sincere about this perspective. I disagreed with it, but they were very sincere about it. And it, it was important to them. They would not see any film that had been rated R right. that included, by the way, the passion of the Christ. They did not watch religious themed films. They, they had never seen films that other people might give a pass to like Schindler's list or, yeah. or films that would be viewed as important because they were rated R. Um, so they I actually made, kind of appreciate that consistency. <laughs> so they, they, they did. They, uh, they, specifically said, you know, I'm not going to watch that for X, Y, and Z. Um, and again, while I disagreed with the extremity of their decision, it was at least consistent. But I do feel like people who will latch on to... There, there are two films that I can think of. Uh, one very important to me. One I know is very important to you. Mm. Um, both of which uh, peers in uh, our, our, our Christian friends would potentially say we should not see this movie, let alone love it, let alone champion it. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's The Exorcist. For right. you, it's The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. Both films that come under a great deal of scrutiny. I think yours more so than mine, but, but they come under a great deal of the you should not see this yeah. kind of thing. We, we know about the controversy that happened when Last Temptation came out. There was a, a severe amount of violent you know, response to that film. Uh, when The Exorcist was released, Billy Graham said, I think I've mentioned, I might have mentioned this before when we actually talked about the episode, but or when we talked about the movie, um, he said that evil was in the celluloid of the film. Yeah. And that was an extreme opinion about a film which enriches me vastly with its yeah. themes and and with uh, the guts that it has in the story it tells and the grace it displays in mm -hmm. the story it tells. Um, and I'm sure you would say a wealth of other things about The Last Temptation of Christ. Indeed. So I think to, to dismiss those uh, pieces of film uh, or a book or, or anything in that way because, oh, well, it can, it's about this or it contains this subject, so it's bad and you shouldn't see it. Um, I think that extreme is is bad, uh, but I also think the other extreme to say like, oh no, anything goes is yeah. is is equally unhealthy because then you're not then you're not being you're just not being a good steward of your imagination and yeah. uh, you know that I know that's a very Christian Christianese sort of way to put it, but you're not taking care of your own mind and you're not taking care of your heart and your emotions. And one of the things that I find so interesting about the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon is that uh, you know there have been there have been statistical studies um, recently uh, that have shown that like you know people who are rabid fans of that book um, do tend to have some sometimes negative uh, consequences either in their personal lives or in their um, you know other relationships. They um, it hasn't been unilateral. It hasn't been across the board, but but uh, the book tends to have a power that um, elicits in people uh, negative reactions, including some people. Have, uh, uh, statistically, it's shown a connection to eating disorders. It's shown a connection with abusive relationships that they are into or that they dig into. And I know that the for the, for those who really don't know much about the film, it does involve 
or about the books um, as much as I know is that it does involve uh, a man and a woman who I guess the man really pursues her in almost kind of a stalkerish way from what I've heard. Mm. And then when they enter into a relationship, he is very into uh, BDSM, which is basically just like you said, submission and dominance, uh, yeah. uh, violence within the context of their sexuality. Um, and, uh, and a certain degree of basically he takes her into what I've, uh, heard is called the red room of pain. And, oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then, uh, and, uh, again, I won't go into specifics about the page and a half that I read, but it was, it was of that sort of more violent nature. And, and you know, what's interesting is, and maybe this is on, on your coworker, but a, a moment ago you said that you felt like you felt wrong for j- maybe judging the books, uh, based on the page and a half you read, but you didn't pick that. That was picked no, for you. That was, yeah. that was curated. Yeah, that was someone right. said, look at this. If this doesn't get you going, then nothing will. Yeah. And so they seem to think that that was representative. And so I don't think it's a, a bad claim to make, but at the same time, you know, I do want to be careful, uh, maybe being dismissive, uh, of, of the book and the movie. Um, and while I, while I have been at this long enough mm-hmm. by which I mean, watching movies and being a grown up, uh, while I've been at it long enough to, after a certain point, kind of know whether or not something is going to be for me, a right and generally good B, Mm. um, you never know. Uh, I saw the trailer for Paddington and it looked horrendous. (laughs) I looked at all these solid B plus A minus reviews in which people made mention of like, Hey, the guy who made the mighty Boosh, uh, that TV show, uh, he's behind this. And it turns out, this turns out to be a really wonderful, uh, family film. Yeah. Did you see it? I have not seen it. Uh, I have not seen it, but because of all the glowing reviews, it's now on my radar. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, and so every once in a while, uh, and, and everything about it just reeks of, okay, the studio did not know what to do with this strange, eclectic little film. So they, <laughs> they cut every, everything they could into this trailer that makes it look like every other family film, mm. uh, which turned me off to it completely. So, you know, I'm not immune to misjudging a thing. Right. Um, but yeah, but it is, uh, I, I like that it is starting this conversation and I, I did read, I did read, uh, an article that said that uh, porn use among women has gone up since the book has, was published. Interesting. Now, correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation, right? But it is interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, and so, I, but again, who knows? Maybe it's just maybe maybe they happen to occur at the same time, and that's why the book is popular. It could be. Um, so who's to say? But. Um, but yeah, it does speak to this larger thing, and and so I want to stick. I want to move to the larger thing now, uh, beyond just uh, just this book and movie, which we don't have personal uh, experience with, except for that uh, wonderful page and a half that you were talking about. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, and and I I feel like we're we'll, we'll probably be repeating ourselves. I don't know when you're when you were first on at the, which at this point was well over two years ago. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we did kind of a basic interview of you and, uh, and you talked about being a a lover of horror films and that sort of thing. And so, uh, and we've had Doug Jones on and, and, uh, Bill Oberst Jr. And stuff. So we've talked about horror quite a bit, but that's a pretty good one. Uh, we, we can lock into that when you have, when you have 
notable preachers saying that the literal celluloid is evil yeah like, that's when that's when you know you've locked into a genre that uh that is that oh, really yeah. hits people in a very specific way um and so uh so maybe w- one thing that we can do is you can throw out some of your favorite titles uh but also what these movies contain that maybe the some people in the Christian world would say, oh, yes, it is for this reason that this film is is trash. That, yeah. By the way, that word trash is to me almost in, uh, infuriating. Just the, mm. when people are like, ah, oh, it's just trash. Yeah. Which is to say, throw it away. It is, it is completely useless. Yeah, no intrinsic and, value. And while there are probably a handful of movies in my life that I would say, now that is trash. <laughs> uh, almost always they are studio calculation. Uh, yeah. They are, for example, the Seltzer and Freeberg uh, uh, parody films like uh, date movie, oh, epic yes. movies. Oh, yeah. Those are trash. Uh, yeah. Because I don't think they, you get much argument there. Yeah, because no. they, they are they are worthless i mean they sir they are nothing they're just a it's just like i don't like to say that i hate every once in a while i will say that i hate a movie but i don't say it very often i hate those movies maybe because they barely qualify as movies to me but anyway uh but i know with 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 horror movies uh and i'm trying to think if there's entire other genres that the Christian community dismisses. I think horror is the only uh, other than, uh, which it's not a genre, uh, but like e- erotic dramas, uh, they, yeah. they certainly dismiss those, but I think horror is the only mainstream broad sweeping genre that is outright dismissed. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a horror. That's a horror film. You know, what's interesting is though they don't dismiss thrillers. So I don't think yeah. the problem is with suspense. I think it really is this idea of a very specific kind of horror film yeah. that does get categorically thrown out um, yeah. as worthless, valueless. Um, and, uh, and, and some of them, I am a tremendous fan of horror films, but there are some of them that are that are absolutely that. Like this is this is completely without substance and value. Which actually is uh, as we were as I was uh, talking a moment ago, it occurred to me that okay, so I want to get I want to get some of your favorite horror movies and you know kind of the general Christian response to them as opposed to yours. But I would also like, as somebody who probably has seen more horror movies than I have, hmm. maybe some that you've seen that you say like, yeah, this actually didn't have much value for like maybe even some that you regret and maybe you don't, maybe, maybe there are literally no horror films that you regret watching hmm. from a Christian or, uh, sorry, from a spiritual or emotional, uh, perspective. Okay. Um, but let's stick with, let's stick with the positive at the moment. Um, so what are some of your, your favorite horror films? Well, of course, we'll, you know, I don't need to go into it in, in tremendous detail, but of course the exorcist is, is not only my favorite horror film, but it's my favorite film. Um, I also, uh, second on my list is psycho, mm-hmm. um, Alfred Hitchcock's original version. Um, and, uh, you know, the, some other films that rank very highly for me are, it really would be no surprise to horror films. I'm, I'm a huge fan of alien, uh, by Ridley Scott. I love silence of the lambs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in sort of the more traditional 
this is classified as a, as a categorical horror film. Um, I am a very big fan of the first nightmare on Elm street. Okay. Um, I, I think it has some, a lot of flaws, but I think there's a lot going on in it that I really enjoy. Um, uh, some other, I'm trying to think of some specific, uh, like horror films that would maybe not, not necessarily be the standard tropes. Uh, actually I, I responded pretty positively. Not a lot of people did, but I responded pretty positively to the first Jeepers Creepers film. Um, I did uh, until we saw the monster. When oh it's, yeah. When it's yeah. just that greasy truck, I am on board. Oh, absolutely. The first, the first hour of that film is, is really excellent. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it does a lot of simple things that are, that are, that it does really, really well. Um, I respond, I responded positively, uh, even though I would agree that it has some flaws to sinister recently. Um, I liked sinister quite a bit. Oh shoot. I always get sinister and insidious mixed up. Which one have they both had sequels? They've both had, they've both. Oh no, 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 no. Sinister has not had a sequel. Okay. I saw a trailer for insidious three. Hmm. Watch that trailer. The oh, trailer gosh. is terrifying. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm sure I would love it. Um, uh, yeah, I liked I liked Sinister quite a bit, um, and uh, and so there there have been some horror films recently that I've responded to uh, very very strongly in a positive way. I'm trying to think too, um, you know, I like some of the I like some of the cheesy stuff too. There's some, you know a couple of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Some of them are just almost unwatchable, but there've been a couple of the sequels in the Friday, the 13th series, um, specifically, uh, Jason lives. Uh, I think it's number seven. It's either six or seven. Have you seen all of them? I really like that. I have seen all of them. Okay. Um, but, uh, but, but that, you know, Jason lives is pretty good. If you're going to see one Friday, the 13th movie, I would say see Jason lives. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, I like, the nightmare on Elm street series. Oh, Oh, I can't believe I didn't mention it until now. One of my favorite films. In fact, it just recently, I redid my top hundred movies. Um, I actually redid my top two fifty, but I don't know why I chose to share that. <laughs> Are you on letterboxd? I'm not, but I need to, you be. should get on there yeah, and put that top two fifty on there. Yeah. Because right now I just have an IMDb list. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, uh, Halloween is, is oh, yeah. the, the very first Halloween I think is, is a near perfect film given, it's simplicity and it's execution. I think it's it's a fantastic movie. All right, I want to I want to jump on Halloween real quick, and I will add one of mine that I actually think is similar to Halloween uh, in a regard that I will talk about in a moment, which is uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, um, which is a film that I got for Christmas. No better way to spend your Christmas than watching <laughs> one of the most nihilistic films you'll ever see. No kidding. Um, but the, and that's actually what I wanted to talk about. Those are two horror movies that. When, when, when film lovers talk about them, they will talk about the style. They'll talk about just the commitment of the actors. Uh, chances are we'll talk about like what they managed to achieve with a low budget. Um, thematically, I tend not to talk much about those films. Hmm. And I find myself actually made a little bit uncomfortable by how much I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It hmm. regularly shows up on my top 100. Hmm. It is one of my favorite horror films it's probably into my top three or four um and yet as a christian i don't really know what to say about it and so here we have and almost every movie i love genuinely love almost every movie i can say something i can comb it might be something small but i can comb something out of it yeah um from a spiritual standpoint that that i find um Oh, what's that word? 
not encouraging, but uh, oh, not illuminating. There's a very Christianese type of word that uh, that people say, and I can't edifying. Think. Edifying. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> of course you would You're know welcome. that one. <laughs> of course you'd know it. Um, so uh, <laughs> thanks everybody. Um, but uh, but yeah. So almost everything. But every once in a while, I'll find a film that I love. But it is chock full of, you know, and and Texas Chainsaw is disturbing, but not actually very gory. Yeah. Um, But I think the tone makes you think that you're watching something infinitely more gory than it is. Well, yeah. Um, And so, but that is a film that like, it is, it is dark and it is disturbing and there is no hope. Yeah. It is a deeply nihilistic film. Uh, and fatalistic and all of those. And I love it. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and if a Christian were to come up to me and say, how can you love that film? Look at how, look at the dark forces at work, uh, not behind the production, but like, look at what it is doing and it is not giving you any hope at all. I think I would be, I might mumble something about like, oh, you know, it's about the fallenness of man and how much we need God. But that would be me just, <laughs> that, would, that would be me, oh, gra- uh, gra- you know, grasping at straws. I wouldn't know what to say. And so right, I right. would almost feel in that moment a little bit guilty that I love the movie that much, even though I find nothing personally edifying about it. Well, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point, and this is something about which I would say it goes beyond opinion for me and and into the realm of conviction for me. Mm -hmm. I think we have a habit as Christians to want to make every lesson that we have or every opinion we have universal. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, this is not just valuable to me. It's got to be valuable to everybody. In other words, um, uh, let me speak tangibly about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I I actually respect that film a lot. It doesn't speak a lot to me as an individual, mm-hmm. um, but I've I've seen it twice, and both times I watched it, it's undeniably powerful, and yeah. it's also undeniably skillful. Like the like the the film craft at work in that film is is unimpeachable. It's very very well made, but um, it could it could feel when somebody asks the question as I've encountered with The Exorcist or with other films that I love, it could feel like they they say, why would you as a Christian love this film? And what I've come to a place where I want to say is you can't separate why me as a Christian, like if you're you're cornering me for an answer, you get me. Reed is a Christian. Mm -hmm. So you get me. I I can tell you why I love it. And that may not fit in with your sensibilities of what a Christian is supposed to and supposed to not like or, or love, but I love Jesus and I love that movie. And that's my, that's my circumstance to work through and walk through and, and, and deal with. Yeah. And I think that there can be a vast amount of pressure to make it applicable to other people yeah. when it could be very well something that, okay, and, and I'm trying to come up with a tangible example for myself, um, you, it, in my favorite lists, you're going to see Exorcist number one, Psycho number two, number three, It's a Wonderful Life. So yeah. the vast, 
difference between those films. You know, it's like, how do you even wrap your head around what's going on inside my heart? Number four, Iron Giant. <laughs> so, so you know, you, how do you even wrap your head around what's going on with me? Um, and one of the things that I'm coming into some more confidence in saying is, like, look, I'm, I am not... Um, I am not a uh, a Christian who's aspiring to be some version, some better version of myself. Like I, I am who I am. I've I've got my interests, my tastes, my opinions, the things that that connect with me, the things that that don't connect with me. And what I believe fundamentally is, I believe that the Lord loves me as He made me, as He uh, designed me. I believe he designed in me certain things that I'm not going to respond to and are actually going to affect me very negatively. And I believe he designed me with certain things that I'm going to connect with very strongly. And if that, if in other words, to hopefully bring the point down is your affection for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre may not be palatable to anybody but you, but that no. doesn't make it any less valuable, worthwhile, or edifying because you're the one who's who's trying to follow Jesus, and you're yeah. the one who's trying to be who God's made you to be. And that ultimately is what is important to, to latch on to. I had, uh, just to wrap the point up, I had a, a minister one time who prayed for me. He doesn't even remember praying this prayer. But he prayed something over me that was kind of like a watershed moment for me in wrapping my head around this concept and others like it. He prayed for me about a decision that I was trying to make, and he said this. He said, it doesn't matter what Jesus would do. It doesn't even matter what other Christians would do. What matters is what does Jesus want you to do. Right. And that was very influential for me in terms of grasping my own walk with God as, okay, this, this matters, you know, this, this, it makes a difference. Um, I am an individual who God has positioned in this place and put these things into, and I need to surrender that to him and walk through it the best that I can. That's bordering on rambling, but. No, no, I, you know what you're, you're, what you're saying is very interesting because it is, it is almost, I don't think people see it this way. Um, and I don't think they mean for it to be this, but when people ask as a Christian, how can, how can you like that movie? That's almost a trap because Mm -hmm. it's requiring you to separate things out as though my love of film has no, as though my Christianity has no bearing on my love of film and they are two completely separate things. Well, as a Christian, God has, for me specifically, as a Christian, somebody who's trying to follow where God wants me to go, I have found myself in the middle of the world of online film criticism. Mm -hmm. And as a Christian, and within that, I am a person who likes and who really appreciates an emotional connection to a film. The emotion could be hope, it could be, you know, it could be it's a wonderful life, mm-hmm. or it could be the emotion of despair, as in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, right, right. Uh, you know, or Psycho, um, or even Halloween, I think. Yeah. Uh, and just, and so I find value in that because I'm connecting with this piece of art, which as it happens, I'm supposed to. It means I'm doing my job as well as I possibly can. And in that sense, you know, you could go to anybody, you know, my, my favorite thing is a plumber because my grandpa was a plumber and, and, uh, and he was a man of God, but nobody would ever ask him as a Christian, look at that toilet. (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't that disgusting? As a Christian, how can you even deal with that? Right. You know, right. it's like, because this is who I, because it is who I am. Right. Um, and it's not to give yourself a pass because you're also called to be discerning and to be careful and, and to go into almost any situation being careful and lo- looking to be edified, which then brings me to the next part of this question. We can stick with horror or we can move on to other things. Uh, what movies have you seen that that from the, the Christian part of you or, or from a spiritual uh, aspect of you, did you feel like, you know what? I probably shouldn't have seen that. Maybe, maybe not from a sin standpoint, but just like this, this did no, this did not do any good for me. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Even if the movie's good. Yeah. That's an interesting question because, um, it's funny. I'll be honest that nothing, nothing immediately comes to mind that I've had that specific response to. And I think a lot of that is because, um, is just because as I've grown into sort of confidence of my own opinions, there, uh, there, there've been a lot less guilt for things that, uh, that I, you know, necessarily felt, felt poor about when I, when I saw them at the time, I do remember, and this is, this is just kind of funny. My initial response to some films that I now love and now, you know, would even defend and hold places in my heart. Um, you know, the very first time I saw seven, there was some, there was some material in seven that I was like, Oh man. And, and I wrestle with seven is noteworthy for me because it's one of the few films that physically actually caused me a little loss of sleep. Not because Hmm. I was so terrified. There was just, it's obviously a very disturbing film. Um, and, uh, you know, I saw it when I was, you know, close to an adult. I think I was like 16, uh, maybe 17. Yeah, I was 13. When I saw it. <laughs> oh, wow. I've only seen it once since then. But, uh, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, when I, when I saw that movie, you know, I, I had a very visceral response to it and there was a lot of like, a lot of some guilt tied into it. Uh, the, the, it's funny because I, I, I've had, several experiences where I've seen a movie and there will be a component in the movie that I'm like, Oh, you know, like that, that was bad. A movie that made me stop watching the franchise. And I do feel bad. Oh, two, two movies that I've seen that, um, I wish I had not seen, um, the third saw movie. Oh, okay. And hostile. I, I wish I had not seen those movies because there are certain images that even as I think about the movie, the image comes back to my mind. I can't, I can't quite get rid of them and it doesn't elicit in me the inspiration or the excitement or even just the, the, the provocation that I would want from something to stick with me that much. It yeah. instead elicits a great deal of just, uh, almost a, an emotional nausea where I'm just like, uh, I just, I really don't, I really don't feel very good that I've seen that. And now I can't really, totally unsee it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that subgenre of the horror film in general, the sort of the, I've heard it referred to as gornography or torture porn. And, and, uh, you know, during, I think during the times that I've been on for Halloween times, we've kind of discussed those, those subgenres. That is something I can't, I I can't really deal with something that, um, involves a prolonged scene of a character being, you know, tied down and tortured is something I, I I don't respond positively to that at all. And I also can't absorb it the way I can with some things in like the exorcist or some of the other movies that I mentioned. I also can't absorb those things and, uh, see beyond it 
like I can with with uh, certain other unpalatable things in these other horror films. Yeah, there are there are some films, even great films. Seven is a great example. I was talking about I was talking about that film with a friend of mine recently. That it that it, it is a film that just that I have a great deal of respect for, and I think it's a movie I actually is on my is on my Amazon wish list. Uh, listeners, if you want to <laughs> if you want to go through the BPPO box, but um, the and it's just it's so. I don't like to use the word nihilistic because that means that the film just believes in nothing or it's putting forth an idea of nothing. And I, so I don't think it's that, um, but it's just, man, it's tough to, it's tough to come away from the world with any sense of hope there. Um, and another film that I saw for the first time just last year and it's great is the original wicker man. I love the original wicker man. It's Great. Yeah, I, I, I do have strong affection for that movie. But as I walked out of it, I was just like, I'm discouraged. Mm-hmm. I'm discouraged as a person, as a Christian. The artistic quality of that film, and it's everywhere, was not enough. It is like, you know, I don't want to use the term, like, it disturbed my spirit. I don't like to say that. <laughs> it right. just, I felt just kind of deflated for the rest of the day. Hmm. And, and in that moment I was like, did I, reg- do I regret watching that? And I thought from, from one standpoint, no, cause it means I'm, I will, I now have that and I can be part of that conversation. But from a Christian standpoint and from a personal emotional standpoint, it's just like, uh, I, I could have gone my whole life without seeing that film yeah. and, and having dealt with that ending. Yeah. Um, and just, and I, and I think I would have been fine. Mm-hmm. which is which yeah. is weird to say yeah uh, it's not a thing i say very often and incidentally do you watch game of thrones no no i'm not i'm not on the board that train yet <laughs> i am not either for a number of reasons and i likely won't be mm-hmm. uh one is just uh i know listeners know that you know uh, uh i do try to tread lightly around nudity uh, especially if it is meant to only be you know titillating and stuff and from what i i saw the first episode of game of thrones uh there was a lot of nudity in it uh there was one scene where i thought it was probably necessary Hmm. uh and the rest i was like okay this is uh, i don't know do they want to justify being on hbo or what Hmm. um and so and from what i hear the first two seasons it's just insane oh really and uh and so it's like all right i may not need to do that but what's what's even deeper than that because i i have a certain degree of fascination with game of thrones uh in the same way that a lot of other people do uh it's actually become kind of a joke that hey are you a likable character your days are numbered (laughs) um you you are not going to last very long you certainly won't make it towards the end and just and there are people and while i'm willing to give George R. R. Martin the benefit of the doubt because I haven't seen much of the show. Yeah. Uh, but I've talked to a lot of people about it. I've read a lot about it. Mm-hmm. And people seem to have different responses to it. But one of the, you know, uh, my friend, uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, who I was talking, who's watched all of it and I was talking to him about it. And he he's a defender of it and he makes very good points. And I, and I think I, if I were to watch the show, I'd probably agree more with him. But there are some people who say, that George R. R. Martin seems to take some kind of glee in just sort of establishing a hope and looking at a char- looking at characters that 
that are that want semi noble things and then just obliterating them mm. as if to say like yeah you there is no hope there is no optimism you no one's going to save you you can't save you it's just the strong will destroy the weak always yeah now here's the thing so far we've talked about 50 shades of gray which neither neither of us have seen or read uh we're talking about game of thrones which Mm -hmm. i saw one episode of and then i've i have i'll say this i've done a lot of research about uh okay uh, partially because i wanted to know like all right is this a thing that i can watch right um for a for a bunch of reasons and uh but just when i hear about that i was like this show would take such an emotional toll on me. And while I feel, while I have no doubt that I could uh, engage with the characters and that might be enough for me, I just wonder, it's like, man, I just don't have the energy for this mm-hmm. anymore. And so, but that's a, that's very much a personal thing. You know, right, I certainly right. don't judge Jason for loving the show as much as he does. And of so, course not. Um, but yeah, so there are things out there that I think f- on an individual, when it comes to individual conviction that I think, you know, it's good to know who you are and the mm-hmm. stuff that will that will cause you to, for lack of a better term, despair. Yeah. It could be and by the way, it could be content like sexuality or, or violence or whatever, or it could just be the general tone, like, you know, uh Wicker Man doesn't have anything I've seen much harsher stuff in other movies. Oh, certainly. Uh but have not come away from those feeling the way I did after I saw Wicker Man. Yeah. And the th- the funny thing about a film like The Wicker Man, which, you know, we'd, we'd need to go into too much spoiler territory and, and yeah. d- depth of the film to explain why. But the thing about The Wicker Man that's so unsettling is that you, as a viewer, and I have this a lot when when faith or Christian characters appear in any film, I have immediate expectations of what their end result is supposed to be. And yeah. I also have immediate expectations of uh, of saddling like, oh, well, here you have a character. And my response when I first saw The Wicker Man was very similar to what I'm about to describe. Here you have a character who is overtly religious, not even, not even just overtly religious, specifically Christian. Yeah. And they are putting forth their ideology and they're, and they're very sincere about their beliefs. I have a structural prediction of how that is supposed to happen. I had it when I first watched The Exorcist, and I knew going into it, like, oh, well, my expectation of these devout men is that they're going to cast the demon out, and mm-hmm. that's going to be the end of it. And so when the what actually happens is a lot more complicated than that, it upset my sensibilities. Yeah. And it wound up in that film, as it did a little bit with The Wicker Man after some thought and reflection and stuff like that, um, of, okay, well, wait a minute, what was... What was unsettled was my uh, my predictions about how this is supposed to go. Yeah, uh, as we talked about with uh, in our Exorcist episode, um, when and I'm fine with be- being spoilery about it because I feel like a lot of people have seen The Exorcist. So uh, if you haven't seen The Exorcist and you don't want certain things spoiled, uh, maybe skip like a minute ahead. Um, when Father Marin dies, yeah, it seems like you said there's a narrative in your head and for him to die and, and the death is not a big dramatic thing. Mm-hmm. You know, father Karras, his death is big and dramatic and full of meaning. Father Marin's death seems senseless. I can't, which is to say, 
I can't make sense of this. Right. This goes against my expectation. It goes against the narrative. Uh, and in the same way, you know, uh, with, with where the wicker man, I won't spoil this where the wicker man goes. Yeah. That seems senseless. Mm -hmm. And I just look at that and I just think, how, how can I expect, how can I be expected to go on, Mm. uh, with this kind of thing happening? Right. And it reminds me actually of, uh, uh, this clip has been going around quite a bit where uh, Stephen Fry, um, the actor who I think is, I know what you're about uh, to reference. Yeah. Uh, he was interviewed and he's, and he's a noted atheist. And so uh, a lot of the atheists that I'm, that I'm friends with on Twitter and, and Facebook, um, you know, put this out there as though it were just this most, uh, the most amazing thing that no Christian had ever thought of, as it turns out, we all have. Um, right. But whatever, that's fine. Uh, I'm editorializing. Uh, in which he, the interviewer said, what would you say to God if you met him? Right. And his, and his response was, I believe, how dare you? And mm-hmm. one of the things is just like, you have the, pa- you have the power to prevent all this suffering. And he's like, bone cancer in children. Really? You're not going to do anything about that. Right. You know, it's senseless. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so even as I, you know what, even as I say this, I'm getting more on board with the wicker man mm. because it's a reminder that, you know what, just because you've chosen the right path, there's no guarantee things are going to go great for you. Yeah. And just because there is a right path, just because there is a larger truth doesn't mean that that is going to be championed by most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so you know what we've, I've just talked myself into this other thing. Um, but yeah, like, uh, but I think those are the, those are the films thematically that may disturb me the most are the ones where I just feel like this doesn't fit with my Christian idea of everything having a meaning and being able to comb that meaning out of something. Right. Because it, it subverts that. And it's like, what do I do with this now? Mm -hmm. Aside from, I'll use the word again, despair. Yeah. And I think it's important when you encounter those kind of things in art, uh, I think it's important to, to engage with it, uh, and really dig into why it makes you feel the way you feel and what, what is this, uh, what is it about this particular thing that is causing, you know, such distress, uh, for me, one of the things that, that I respond to with like the Stephen Fry interview or, or, you know, uh, I think I, I believe if I'm quoting it correctly, when, when you had Corbin Burnson mm-hmm. on the show, he said, you know, the, the two of the big reasons, and he, he mentioned like the supernatural elements, like the immaculate conception, and then also the, the, the problem of suffering is what, is what causes people to, to sway away from Christianity as an yeah. ideology and to quote CS Lewis, which I will not be able to quote him exactly, but he said that um, if Christianity is true, then no matter how much it disturbs or unsettles us, we should believe it because right. it's true. And if it's not true, then no matter how much it comforts or or makes us feel better about life, we should not believe it because right. it's not true. And I think that that whole notion, I, I get so, I, I get ired very much by the sensibility of dismissing God or dismissing Christianity because uh, of you know things like unanswered questions of like suffering and things like that, um, such as you know Stephen Fry's very sincere answer. Oh sure, but I get I get unsettled by dismissing that um, 
G.K. Chesterton has probably my favorite quote about it because he said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult, so left untried. Hmm. And I love that, yeah. um, as I love most of the things that he wrote, um, because I think that's that's really true. It's like, no, the hard reality is that this is still true, and we still we still suffer, and we still struggle. There is the reality of the hope of redemption, the hope of grace. There's also the reality of the cross. You know, when we are thinking about this notion of, you know, taboos and things that we're not allowed to engage with or not supposed to engage with, um, you said something, I think, on a recent episode, and I cannot remember what it was. I almost want to say that it was the episode about about um, Exodus, about Moses. But, but re- regardless of that, the notion of the Bible is a lot more complicated than we would like to make it. A frustration yeah. that I have, and I'm going to try to rein this in because I just had like six thoughts at the at at, at one time. But going, um, the one of the things that frustrates me a lot about modern sermonizing, and and I've I've preached sermons before. I've heard a lot of sermons. Many of them I've liked. Many of them I haven't liked. But one of the things that frustrates me about the what people go to for a sermon and the way that sermons are often structured is the application part of it. Oh, well, this is this is how you have to apply this to your life. Right. I hear a story like the angel Gabriel comes and tells Mary she's been found favorable in the eyes of God and that she's going to conceive the Son of God. He tells her this, and we hear that story, and preachers hear that story, and we have a tendency to Okay, well, how can we be more like Mary? Well, right. how can we how can we apply this to our lives so that we fit somewhere into the narrative instead of accepting like sometimes this is the way life is or this is the mm-hmm. way God is. And one of the things that I think films or art has the potential to really do in a powerful way is simply portray a picture of that. You know, I see a film um, that that doesn't fit in, like like the Wicker Man. I see something like that, and what I see again, without spoiling the ending, is I see a man who was very sincere, but utterly naive about the world he had stepped into, and mm-hmm. about how I, I I could not help but feel when I walked out of that film that if this man had taken his faith and put his feet in the dirt and and paid attention to the world around him, he could have could have possibly either escaped the danger he stepped into or at least had more of a positive impact on right. something. And that's a valuable lesson, I think, for mm-hmm. people to to walk away from. And we feel a lot of times that just this burden of well we we have to put the bumper sticker on it we have to yeah. put the the lesson this well now you see timmy you know that yeah. that that kind of thing on all of the art particularly all of the questionable art we have to we have to somehow justify it yeah. when when in point of fact there are things about this life that are plain hard realities uh, Stephen Fry or, or people who have that kind of sensibility, very intelligent people, uh, people who have lived life, who have probably lived life in dark times or seen some discomfort in his life, but they are not asking any question that Job didn't ask. They are no. not asking any question of God that has not already been specifically dealt with in some capacity by God's people. And I feel like it is... Um, utterly dismissive and naive to think, well, it's not real because it doesn't make any sense to me when the very science that they would, that that many of them would praise 
says that when it comes right down to it, we are less than a blink of an eye in the history of the universe and in the expanse of the universe. Yeah. So who are we to think that, that we have this, this encapsulation of like, well, I've, I've landed on this opinion. So naturally it has to be, <laughs> it has to yeah. be the truth. Um, there's so much more that I want to say, but I can feel myself start to ramble. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to rein it back in just a yeah. little bit. And if I, if I like I'm that. because we're over an hour, I'm looking for the opportunity to bring us back to the beginning. And I, and I feel like we've got, we've actually uh, had several because, you know, ultimately what this does come down to, you know, the, so the, Tagline slogan. The slogan for more than one lesson is movie talk for the discerning Christian. Mm. And, um, I remember I was being interviewed by somebody and he mentioned that and he said that discerning has a world of meaning, doesn't it? And I said, yes, it does. Uh, and we tend to talk about discernment in regards to how we approach art Mm. because that's what, because this is a movie podcast. Um, and so that makes sense, but, it's basically everything. I mean, the same, the same discernment that you can, that, that we encourage you to use when you approach film so that you can see through the style uh, while still acknowledging the style, but you can see through that and see that, Oh, you know what? In like, this doesn't seem to be something that I could find valuable spiritually, Mm. but it's all, but it's all over the place. If you dig a little deeper. Right. If you dis- you can discern this thing that isn't uh, obvious to the naked eye. Uh, that same discernment can be used towards any number of things. That that Chesterton quote, uh, can you say it again? I want to make sure I've got it oh, right. Oh, yeah, sure. It's, uh, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult, so left untried. Right. And that goes to, you know, this idea that I've talked about many times, which is this idea that extremes are easy uh, and nuance is hard. And nuance is when you have to think about what you believe. Right. When you have to really delve into it's like, okay, my questions aren't being answered. And if my questions aren't being answered, then there must not be an answer. I'm walking away. Right. Um, And... Or it's, there must not be an answer, so I'm not going to start, I'm not going to keep looking, I'm not going to ask anybody about it, I'm just going to continue with kind of a blind faith, and after a certain point, our faith does need to be blind, but not, probably not immediately. Right. Um, And then we wind up, hey, we wind up like the character in Wicker Man, who just thinks that this will carry him through everything without a knowledge of what the world is. Right. And so, uh, I'd say his character though devout is undiscerning. Um, I agree, which is interesting because his character is a, a, detec- a detective. He's meant right. to be able to discern the facts from things. Exactly. But, um, but yeah. And so, uh, I guess what we're, what we're trying to talk about is we, you know, we started with 50 shades of gray and this idea that, that there are, you know, that maybe there are some things that aren't really worth our time. And that's part, that's the other side of discernment is, you know, we, I spend so much time talking about like, Hey, this thing that you as a Christian might think is unvalued is not, it has no value. If you, if you click on, if you click on the discernment light, maybe it does. Right. But the flip side is, yeah, but if you go too far in that direction, then you're just accepting anything. And the same discernment should say, Oh, you know what? There's not much to this. Correct. And I don't, and I only have, there's only 24 hours in a day 
And right. why am I spending time on this? And it will be different for every person. It will. You know? Uh, the same, like, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A Christian could watch that and say, this is so nihilistic, I see no value in it at all. And I can, I can absolutely see where they're coming from. Sure, um, sure. And if they've, come to, if they've come to that after, you know, prayer and, you know, meditation and uh, thought, then I have... I have no room to, to judge them. Certainly. Um, but yeah, so, uh, all right. I, I like where, I like where this conversation went. I almost, uh, I'm intrigued to maybe try and do this more often, just kind of see yeah. where the conversation takes you. I did not anticipate uh, arriving at horror films, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> you're in the room. So I guess why should, I should have assumed that <laughs> I've kind um, of become the go-to for, for horror conversations, which yeah. is, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so I think we will leave it there. Uh, listeners, you're welcome to join in the conversation. Uh, either email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com, or you can leave a comment uh, on the post uh, for, this webso- for this episode on the website. Episode on the website. Ugh, sorry. Um, yeah, and then you can uh, go to More Than One Lesson for any number of uh, articles and such, including a very, very intelligent and discerning, it should be noted, uh, article about the imitation game written by our very own Reed Lackey. Uh, Thank you. you. You latched onto stuff in that movie that I didn't even think about, and now it's all I think about. <laughs> wow. I love it. Like, well, the, like the concept of playing God and... And the, the the idea that answers actually a lot of what we were just talking about, like, why does God allow certain things to happen? Yeah. Whereas we look at characters in the invitation game who say, we need to let these things happen because there's a larger, there Picture. are bigger things right. to, to think about. It, it didn't even <laughs> occur to me. And man, I thought it was wonderful. Oh, thank um, you, man. I appreciate so yeah, you listeners can find that at uh, morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at morelessons. Uh, you can uh, join us on Facebook. You can sign up for our newsletter, which as I say that, it occurs to me, I never sent out the most recent newsletter. Sorry about that. I will get on it. Um, but yeah, so uh, Reed, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. I had fun too. Thank you for being on the show and thank you guys for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.